It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 8.06 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, my friends, and I'm here to help you be more successful in your landscape, in your garden, with whatever you want to do with the natural world. Hopefully I'll have an answer with something that is based on research and science and not something you heard over the over the Internet or on Facebook or something like that. Number again, 404-872-0750. First in line, Tony is out in Watkinsville. Hey, Tony, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. I love your show. Well, thank you. Uh, i got a question about my muscadine. I have three yeah. really nice muscadine vines um, that I planted a few years ago. Um, really been working on the trellis and the pruning. Good. And this year, one of them, uh, man, it is it is just loaded down with muscadines, okay. uh, just the way you would hope that it would. The other two produced really well last year. But this year, they're probably off by, by 50 or 60%. Uh. The only thing I can, I can figure out uh, that I might – thing has happened is they may get about three to four hours of less sun than the one that's in just absolute full sunlight. Yeah. And if that's the case, can, can I move those? Uh, is there, a, is there a good time to move them? If that's mm-hmm. not the case, could it be something else going on? You know, if the, if it looks like the shade is only going to increase as the years progress, I probably would move them. Yeah. And it's easy okay. to move, not hard to move muscadines particularly. You wouldn't do it now, but in sure. the wintertime. Yeah, I think I'd move them. And you know, you, it won't get any less sunny unless somebody cuts down some trees, so, uh, or less shady, I mean, unless somebody cuts down trees. So, uh, yeah, I think you can move them, but I'd wait until, gosh, all the leaves certainly are falling off sometime in late November, December even. And the thing that my dad taught me about muscadines, and this was really valuable, some technique that I think my dad just knew from instinct was that their, their roots are very shallow. They're very, like, two inches underneath the ground, if that. And so he would wait until it rained or until he uh, was sure the ground was really soft, and then we'd go up with a spading fork. And the spading okay. fork is usually sticking in the ground, so it loosen the ground. We'd loosen the ground three or four or five feet around each one of the big vines we're trying to move, and then pull the roots very gently out of the ground. So we had a sort of a pancake, really, of roots around the base of the trunk of the muscadine vine. And then we dragged the whole thing. We dragged sometimes link the arms, you know, it'd be eight, ten feet long. We'd drag everything down over to the new place. And we dug a hole there, very shallow again, only six inches probably deep. And we arranged the roots out into the big pancake around and then backfilled it with the dirt we'd removed. And the next year, we'd have muscadines on the vine, just like it hadn't missed a beat, particularly, in being moved from one place to another by doing lots of roots that came with it. Okay. Well, I can tell you, like, the leaves and the branches, I mean, they're just beautiful. Yeah. They just haven't produced. Do you think that's the, probably the sunlight issue? Because it be. is the neighbor's uh, overgrowth trees. If you say I didn't have any grapes on any of them, I never have. I think about pollination because you know about grapes and their sex lives, Tony. Yeah, I know these are, uh, are perfect flowering, is that what they're called? Great, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. For listeners who are wondering, wondering what I'm thinking about with the sex lives of grapes, there are some vines which are called perfect flower. They have male and female parts in each flower. They produce muscadines. Everything's perfect, just as Tony has. 
And there's some other vines that have only female parts in the flower. They get pollen from perfect flowers and things around them, so there's no pollen there. But if you had a bunch of female flowers and no perfect flowers around, then you don't get any grapes. Tony's fine, though. He's got grapes on one vine, so we know he's got pollen somewhere. Um, and so, Tony, I, it could be the shade that causes the lack of, 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 of fruit on your muscadines. I can't think of much else. We didn't have a terrible freeze. And if it had a freeze, why didn't it freeze the one that's producing so well? Right. So shade is all the only thing I can think of that might have caused it. Okay. Well, well thank you so much. I'm saying they're the nectar of the gods. And yeah, so I really want are. them to go well. I really look forward to sometimes getting a basket of muscadines, one of my Neighbors down in Inman, Georgia, in Fayette County, uh, gives me muscadines some years, and I really look forward to getting them from them. Sure do. Well, thank you, Walter. Have a yeah, wonderful Tony. day. You too, Tony. Thanks for calling. Brian is in Ella J. No, 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 no. Wait, sorry, Brian. I forgot that Maryland's been waiting a little bit longer than you have. Let's go to Maryland first. Maryland's in Winterville and joins us. Hey, Maryland. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, I have a, uh, we had a, a board well that kind of caved in and uh, had bacteria and such, so we had to do a drilled well. Okay. Well, we use that well still just to, you know, water flowers around the yard and such. But is it safe to water our, our vegetables and uh, fruit that we would eat I with that so. kind of water? I mean, you're not, I'm sure occasionally water droplets get onto the fruit, but mostly you're probably watering at the base of the Vegetables yeah. and bases and fruit trees and things like that. I don't see any harm at all in using that water. Um, okay. Well, I was just worried about it. You know, we had at one point there was a little E. coli, but I think it had to be that something had gotten in the well, yeah, you know, exactly, and died. Exactly. And, um, and uh, <laughs> but okay, I'll just keep it at the base. I just wanted to make sure. We were in uh, some we of the same si- in the same situation, Marilyn, as a child. On the farm, we had a board well, uh, not a board well, a dug well. And so occasionally, just occasionally, my parents would have it tested. And if it had anything you know, bad in it, like E. coli, for instance, um, mm-hmm. we would shock it. You put Clorox in there and bump the water a couple of times to shock it and to uh, get the bacteria out. But rarely right. we have a problem. And the only other problem that I could see from a well would be um, somehow a spill of, of weed killer or something gets into it, that would hurt your vegetables and tr- fruit trees, of course. But it doesn't sound right. like you have anything that's going to be of any damage to your, to your No, plants. no, it's just a cracked well. So, you know, it's getting natural groundwater sure. and such. Sure. So, uh, But anyway, well, I really appreciate your help. I think it'll work just fine. Thanks for calling, Marilyn. Thank you. You bet. Uh-huh. Bye. Brian and LJ, now it's his turn. Hey, Brian, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. Uh, my question is regarding uh, some lily pad and a friend of mine's sure. lake. It's about a 15-acre lake in South Georgia, and it's just ringed with 15 to 20 feet of lily pad coming out from every bank. Wow. Is there any natural way to either kill or retard that lily pad in a certain spot to kind of change up the fishing environment for the fishermen? Mm. The natural way is to get a rake, is a physical way. You get a rake, a weed rake, a, a lake rake is what we used to call it. Big wide thing with teeth and you just throw it way out into the water with a rope and you pull it back to shore and it pulls all the lilies back to shore and you untangle the roots and everything from the rake and take the weeds and the lilies and everything, pile them in a pile and burn them when they get dried out. Keep throwing the rake out there. Pretty soon you'll have a ton of lilies, and you've cleaned most of them out of the lake. That's the most natural way I can think of. That's the only natural way that I can think of. That sounds good. Thank well, you very much. It's I'll look a lot of one. work. It's a lot of work, Brian. I, mean, I don't mean to say it's not work, but it is. But 
naturally, I don't think carp eat lilies, and so that would not be a solution, I don't think, for you. But you could look it up. I don't believe carp are a lily pad eater, but you could see if uh, perhaps in introducing sterile carp they, would do it. They but, do have 500 grass carp that they just put in there a couple months ago, yeah. and they affected the grass in the exactly. lake, but they haven't even touched the lily pad. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was a carp ate the grass, but not the, not the lilies. So y'all get to work and put the leak, the the lake rake. Let's try to say here the lake rake to work and get all those lilies out. Thanks, Walter. You bet, Brian. Drive safely, my friend. John is in Newton, Georgia. Hey, John. Good morning. Well, hello, Walter. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. What can I do for you, John? Well, I've got an area. I've got a north-facing berm, and it slopes down to the road from my backyard. And over the years, some trees around there have gotten large, and it has caused all the grass to die. And now I've got erosion issues and all that. So okay. what I'm looking for, and it's the soil is not particularly good. It's a little rocky and very clay. Uh, what would you recommend for a fast-spreading ground cover that I can uh, cover that area with some greenery and uh, sort of uh, – contain that erosion problem so is it really steep john or just slightly steep i'd say it's uh, probably a seven degree slope mm, let me it's think. mild <laughs> let me think here <clears throat> there's a part of me that says it's seven degrees it's almost ready for some some terraces made out of you can do it with natural stone if you want it's got a truckload of of uh stone from a rock place and just lay in, in rows around the face of the slopes to hold the water from right. washing down. And then you can plant most anything you want to that's shade tolerant in there. But shade tolerant plants, and the obvious one to me is leery oak, monkey grass would grow in the shade very nicely in this ground cover. Uh, even English ivy, if you promise not to let it climb up the trees, if you'll not let it climb the trees, you can plant English ivy on a slope and it'll grow in there and do reasonably okay. well. Um, there's not a lot of shade-tolerant ground covers. There's lots of shade-tolerant plants like hosta and azaleas and ferns and things of that nature, right. but they don't really prevent erosion very well. Um, okay. So, again, at seven, 7 degrees, I'm thinking maybe some rock terraces wouldn't hurt to have to control of the water, not by plants, but by just physical barriers. Okay. Now, what about creeping flocks? In my reading, I keep coming across that. Is that recommended for this climate? And It'll grow, but not well in the shade that I think you have. And it's pretty, has pretty flowers on it as well, but I don't think erosion control is its strong suit. No. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Good luck with it, John. You will right. need it in the shade. You. Getting those ground covers to grow is going to be relatively tough. Shade is not a plant's friend. Most Plants need a lot of sunshine. That's what plants eat, frankly, is sunshine. They take sunshine, combine it with a little carbon dioxide and water, make carbohydrates, and then they combine that with some nutrients and things out of the soil, nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium, and put those together to make the cell walls and the contents out of the cells and the limbs and the branches and the leaves and everything together. But plants uh, have to have the sunshine to energize the whole process of photosynthesis. If you don't have the sunshine adequate for your own plants, photosynthetic needs, then the plant doesn't do very well. And that's why we say it's hard to get grass, particularly to grow under trees. Even ground cover plants that tolerate shade pretty well need some sunshine from somewhere to power the photosynthesis that makes them grow. It's 818. We'll be back tomorrow, Lawn and Garden, after this. 
This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. If you knew Peggy Sue, then you know why I feel blue without Peggy. My Peggy Sue. And a quick weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Hit and miss thunderstorms is the forecast for today. 91 degrees is the highest, uh, low of 74. Same pretty much tomorrow on Sunday, high of 90, low of 73. Full weekend forecast comes within 10 minutes with News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. I noticed something this week which I am very, very curious about. Very sort of impressed, really, with what happened. And what I saw was I passed by, I was on a little path, and there was some kudzu growing next to the path. And I just looked at it, examined it curiously just to see what the kudzu was like and to, you know, just see how, what growth stage it was in. And I saw along the stem of the kudzu several little brown bugs. And I thought, oh, those kudzu bugs. How about that? It thought to my, brought to mind the whole kudzu bug scare 10 years ago when the folks around the airport here in Atlanta some of them had kudzu in their backyards. We were going through the kudzu, and all these little brown bugs all over their face and sticking to their arms and clothing. And they said, man, what are these? I've never seen these before. They submitted them to the University of Georgia and to the State Department of Agriculture, who said, those are kudzu bugs. We've never seen them before in the state. They come from Japan. But somehow they've gotten here around the airport, probably came in on one of the shipments from somewhere in the, else in the world, and these kudzu bugs then expanded their population from the airport or in sort of concentric circles around there to Clayton County, to Fulton County, to DeKalb County, to Gwinnett County, and around and just spread further and further and further. And this is exciting to the soybean and peanut growers in Georgia because kudzu bugs seem to attack the kudzu, and they're afraid it would attack the peanuts and the soybeans. And, of course, both of those are big money makers in South Georgia. Nobody wants to see kudzu bugs down there. There were a few that were found in the South Georgia fields, but kudzu bugs seem to be pretty much concentrated around the metro Atlanta, North Georgia area. And we were looking for insecticides and natural means of control, anything we could do to stop the spread of the kudzu bug. And I could actually go by a patch near my house on Brockleaf Road. I could go by a patch there, and you could smell the thing. They're a member of the stink bug family, and you could smell the kudzu bugs in this kudzu patch on Brockleaf Road. This is about five years ago. And then I noticed that more and more places where I'd go to sort of notice kudzu and look for the kudzu bugs, there'd be fewer and fewer every year. Come to find out that a grad student at the University of Georgia had actually planned to put his, uh, one of his research papers on natural controls of kudzu bugs, gone out to find them and look for them in Athens and could not find hardly any kudzu bugs in Athens. And he knew that two or three years earlier there'd been millions of them around. And so he changed his title of his, uh, <laughs> of his paper to Natural Controls That Have Already Controlled Kudzu Bugs. And what are they? And so he went and did, you know, capture some of the uh, bugs that he did find and found that there was a natural fungus that infects kudzu bugs here in the States. Probably came with them if you really want to know the truth. And this natural fungus had built up enough numbers over the years of the, pop of the population of the kudzu bugs increasing that it had naturally controlled their numbers. 
So on this little kudzu patch that I passed just the other day, and I picked up the leaf to look at it and saw a few kudzu bugs on it, I thought, well, you are lucky. You haven't gotten sick yet. And I'm so glad that natural means controlled the kudzu bug. It's one of those weird things that does happen sometimes where just nature comes to your rescue and things happen that you want to happen that do happen properly. They were hopeful that the kudzu bug would only attack kudzu. It would control kudzu vines throughout the state, but that's not true. It connects, it uh, attacks most of the leguminous plants, and legumes include soybeans and peanuts, of course, and the kudzu as well. The other place that I saw it most commonly was wisteria, but only the young form, the young um, nymphal form of the kudzu bug, the immature form just after it hatched. I saw wisteria pretty commonly, but then I rarely saw it again on wisteria there too. So it's an interesting insect to see if you want to identify if you have kudzu near your house, you want to see if you have kudzu bugs. They look like a little a little waddling English pea. <laughs> exactly what they look like. Take, take an English pea, make it a little bit darker green, and then make it waddle. You've got a kudzu bug. And if you mash one just for the fun of it, you will instinctively and stinkily know why they are a member of the stink bug family as well and why I could smell them on Barcliff Road because they do exude a smell naturally, whether disturbed or not. But if you mash one with your fingers, you will really smell it then. But these stink bugs, these uh, kudzu bugs, as they're called, uh, were going to be a big problem, haven't turned out to be a big problem, and that's all because natural things came along and attacked them, which is thankful. That's the way we want things to happen. 404-872-0750 is my number on Lawn and Garden. Next half hour, of course, we'll talk to Mickey Gasway from Pike Nursery. She'll give us her, her pipe pick of the weekend. I happen to know that it's something that will grow really, really well in hot weather and bloom and attract butterflies and pollinators. What could it be? Well, you'll find out that around 8.35 this morning. Also a reminder, tomorrow is Sunday. The AJC, the Atlanta Journal of Constitution issue, the Sunday issue comes out. I hope you'll join me in subscribing to the, to the AJC. I do enjoy my issue every Sunday as well as every other day of the week. It is credible. It is compelling. It is complete. It has some of the best writers about political things in Georgia you'll ever read. It's 8.27 at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 835, 75 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I'm here to help you be more successful in whatever you want to do in your landscape. Organically, not organically, beginner gardener, not beginner gardener, we don't care. We don't argue with you. We just help. And that's the way we do things at the Lawn and Garden Show, based on science and research and what really, really works in the garden. Same things that Pike Nursery does for their customers here in Atlanta and their best, I won't say their best representative, but my favorite representative, Mickey Gasway, is on the line with us this morning. Hey, Mickey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Maybe you are the best representative oh, of Pike Nursery. Oh, bless your heart. Thank you. Maybe so. Well, Maybe. We'll, we'll debate that with others in, in, <laughs> in the future. <laughs> but, Mickey, the reason I love talking to you is because I know that people save money better than even Clark Howard on a Saturday morning. <laughs> we can guarantee 20% off on plants in Pike Nursery, and that is nice for people to know, particularly when it's a good plant 
particularly appropriate for this time of the year. So what is on sale this weekend? And this weekend it's Lantana. Which is absolutely right. Hard to beat for a sunny July in the summertime here in Atlanta. Lantana blooms right now. It is tough. It's drought tolerant. It brings pollinators. It has all sorts of colors. What's wrong with Lantana? I can't think of a thing. I cannot think of a thing. We were on vacation. We've been gone a lot this summer, and I come back, and it's just blooming away. Sure. And I don't have a, uh, I don't have any kind of sprinkler system, so no. it's just. And it'll, and yet when we have the rain, it'll take that. That doesn't seem to bother it either. The humidity doesn't bother it. This is so it's one, been a one thing that's bad, quote unquote bad, is that some are perennial. Some come back every year just fine. Others are not quite as cold tolerant, maybe, so they don't come right. back. But there's plenty of them that do come back. Which ones do you think are the best ones to come back? The best ones, the ones that we sell as perennials are Miss Huff, which right. is the one that's been around forever. It's the big yellow and orange one, and it's a big one. It gets bigger every year. Um, is the uh, Miss Huff, and then we have one called Mary Ann, okay. which is in the middle of that. Uh, sometimes we have that, and sometimes we don't. It's kind of a pink and yellow one. And then we have one, a smaller one, and it's called Chapel Hill Yellow. Right. And um, they, they're all great plants, and they're just more cold tolerant than than the others, and they they've done great for me. There was a Chapel Hill Yellow, I think, must have been because it was came back. Five years in a row uh, near Tuckle Hill. It was really? Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, <laughs> it was taken uh-huh. out when they redid the uh, discount shoe warehouse, the DSW shoe place there. <laughs> so it's not there anymore. But it's kind of hard with heavy equipment. They, yeah. You know, they're tough plants, yeah. but not but quite that tough. did come back every year. I was really proud of that lantana. I believe it to be Chapel Hill Yellow. Very nice. Well, so plant. we have a, the the question each year, Mickey, is when do you cut back lantana? We know that even the perennial ones. I know, we, ones, we discussed that. Yeah, the we? perennial ones turn brown in the wintertime. They lose All their right, leaves. first you tell what you do. I cut mine back whenever I feel like it, whether it's the first day of December or the first day of <laughs> April. It doesn't matter to me. That's when I cut it back. Okay. Well, what do you I'll do? Wait. Well, I'm a little more polite with mine. I say, when would you <laughs> like me to cut you back? And she uh, says, after um, my, the the. Uh, leaves start coming up in the spring, so it's usually April when I cut mine. I cut it back a little bit so it doesn't look messy, but I leave, you know, uh, a foot or two of it up until then. You are polite to Lantana. I am rude to Lantana. And they My seem... mama didn't teach me that way. <laughs> they seem to do fine either way. The one thing that I think I've probably mentioned to you before is that my mother's Miss Huff Lantana, which, as you say, got bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. every year, um, I began to notice it was not quite as vigorous one year. Actually, been there five or six, and so I began to fertilize it every year, and that's when it really took off. And I think that the Miss Huff and others that are big perennial lantanas do take nutrients out of the soil and would appreciate being fertilized. Well, I hadn't thought about that, but I mine usually get a little bit when I'm fertilizing everything else. I'll, yeah. you know, put some. I'm not real careful about it, though. I have to say. But Lantana, the ones, even the ones that don't come back every year, they have more color combinations sometimes on the annual Lantanas, mm-hmm. and I think they just do great. We've got some that are just 
dark, bright pink and almost red that are absolutely beautiful. I was noticing this morning. There's some, and then there's some that are real small. It's one called Little Luckies uh-huh. that are small, and they're they're good too. They're nice. they're the annual varieties, but they're real pretty. And again, we noted earlier that they're attracted to pollinators, to the bees, the butterflies, and all the good pollinators in your garden that come to visit them. And there's fun just to sit out next to them and see what's coming next, what comes up through the and the and usually the deer and the rabbits don't like them. Yeah, really. I can understand why the leaves sort of have a smell to them. If you mash them with your fingers, they don't smell Have right. you ever stuck your nose down in one? Not really. If you do, it feels, it's not, I mean, it doesn't have thorns, but it's sticky feeling. I think it's huh. the combination of those two things. I wouldn't want to stick my nose down there. A deer. But um, they're Good great plants. plants. So the pike, the pike pick of the weekend, Lantana, all varieties, perennial or <laughs> annual, 20% off. Tell the cashier this is the pipe pick of the weekend. You get 20% off. Buy all you need because they will do great for you the rest of the year and sometimes in years to come if you get the perennial types. They are a great plant and bloom and the pollinators. It's just a good thing. Lantana, great plant. You got it. So classes real quickly. Do we have classes coming up? We've got a succulent class coming up in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be at several different stores. Just check check and see. But uh, it's, we've got one at, I know, Peachtree City one night, and we've got one at Lindbergh next Saturday. That's for kids. That, that's a grown-ups class, right? That was a grown-ups class. Are the kids' classes, didn't you have one about garden bugs or critters or something? Yeah, coming? there's one, but it's only at a couple of stores. You'll okay. have to check. It's ones that... We've had it at all the other client stores, but this is another one they're doing. So that sounds check good. Check it out, So checking. You say check it up, check it up, check it up. So, <laughs> Mickey, where would we go to check up and see which location has these classes where our nearest Pike Nursery might be located? At pikenursery.com. Indeed we do. Mickey, it's great talking to you. Great talking to you always. Bye. We'll see you soon. PikeNursery.com. Get all the details you need there. But Lantana, what a great plant to grow. Let's see. Connie in Dawsonville joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Connie, good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good, fine. What can we do for you, friend? Good morning. How are you this morning? Good, great. Good morning. How are you this morning? Doing fine. How can we help? Uh, my question is, do you, I have a home up in Dawsonville, Georgia. Yeah. And my front lawn is gets full sun. And I wanted to know what I need to be able to do to replace that with centipedes. Hmm. How much water do you have? How much irrigation can you apply? Well, I'm on the lake, but I can't irrigate, so I'd have to. I'd have to. I would have to water it myself. And is it small enough that you could do that pretty easily, or is it five acres or something like that? It's way too big. No, sir, I could do that fairly easily. Okay. If you can irrigate, yes, you can put centipede seed down now. Generally, I would tell people to do it in early May because then you have more chance of rain. And as we got now into July, you know, it's going to be drier. And But you got to have some irrigation on the centipede seed because once they germinate, if you let them dry out for just a few hours, they're dead. They're gone. So you can't let them dry out. And that's why I'm asking about the irrigation. Be sure you have some sprinklers. They're ready to go. And when the soil gets a little dry and you see the little seedlings are wilting a little bit, water immediately. So, I, so I, should I wait until next year then, Mother? That's your decision. <laughs> it depends on how much grass you have now. If you don't have any grass, you got to do something. So oh, just I depend. have grass. It's just it's kind of a combination of Bermuda and weeds at this yeah. point. Why not grow Bermuda then? Um, well, I've, I've had... Uh, centipede before, and I really liked uh, the way it covered. 
uh, in the way it spreads. So. Yeah. See, what the problem you're going to have is Bermuda and Centipede are going to fight each other, and I'm afraid that Bermuda might be a little stronger, might be the, the victor there in that fight. So my inclination is to say, why not grow Bermuda grass? And you don't have to fertilize it and make it you know, grow an inch a week or anything, but you can have a nice-looking fescue uh, Bermuda lawn in full sun, and uh, that might be the better course of action here. Think about that seriously before you try to get centipede to grow in Bermuda, because you'll have to kill the Bermuda before you put the centipede down. Okay, I had some zoysia put in the backyard last year, and uh, it's it's struggling a little bit. It gets partial sun. Yeah. What should I do to try to take care of that? Uh, cut down a tree or two. It'll be fine. But zoysia, yeah, I said about half an hour ago, I said plants eat sunshine. Grasses love sunshine, and you can't get grasses to grow in less sun than they like. And zoysia, even though it's pretty shade tolerant, it doesn't take full shade at all. It needs at least four or five hours a day to really thrive and, and be good. Okay, well, I appreciate your time this morning. I'll listen to you often. I'll let you make your own decisions about whether that centipede or that Bermuda would be a better grass for the front lawn. Let's see. Dale in Woodstock has a question about Lantana, Pike Pick of the Weekend. Hey, Dale, good morning. Hey, hey. Uh, it's Gail. I think she oh, understood. Anyway, <laughs> um, I've got um, the older type Lantana. It's like a pink and yellow or white. Yeah. I guess you call it the Miss Huff. Anyway, it is. it's enormous. And yeah. <laughs> I've cut it back, I've cut it back, and it's like, it's like nine feet tall when you, it's the end of the summer, you know. And it's like, anyway, my question is, can I dig this up in the fall and transplant it in the fall where I want it? Can I separate the, the, the big ball? That's, yeah, that's what, you may, what you may find, like at my mother's place, Gail, was that the big plant, when it was really big, there were several uh -huh. places where the limbs had bent down to the ground and had rooted themselves right into the ground. There were probably right. five, six, seven maybe plants, individual plants that were all in that yeah. big tangle of, of Miss Huff Lantana. So, yeah, you can develop right, it. Right. Sure, sure you can. Um, okay, and when would be the best time to do that? I would do it in the fall, but Mickey may have a point about her waiting. You know, she says she waits until she sees new growth on it in the spring to do her cutting back. What I might do, what I would recommend, Dale, Gail, is you could either cut it back this fall, and that's sort of what I think you should do because otherwise it looks ugly all wintertime. Oh, I know. It looks horrible because it looks like it's all dead and everything yeah. when you cut it back anyway. <laughs> cut, it back to about, cut it back to about 12 inches this fall. Leave it alone. Okay. The next mm -hmm. spring in middle April, you'll see the little sprouts and leaves coming up, and the individual plants will be easy to see, easy to separate, mm -hmm. easy to move. And that's when okay. I'll do actually the moving is in the spring. Oh, okay, awesome. I was I was real curious because you know how like when you've got that great big huge ball, yeah. it's like um, can, you know you just break it apart sort of and plant all those individual ones. Yeah, that's I, what just, you'll do. I didn't want to kill nothing. You know what I mean? You will not kill Lantana, Gail. Don't oh, worry. Oh, I know. About, you can't you kill, it. kill it. You will not kill it. It's like Well, not exactly, <laughs> you know? but it won't die. Well, I mean, Thanks for calling, okay, Gail. Okay, thank you. You bet. We'll see you. Barbara and Austell, if you have a quick question, we can talk for you in just a minute here. Hey, Barbara, good morning. Hey, good morning. Hi. Um, 
I have a, a hummingbird feeder, and I have one uh, beautiful black hummingbird. He comes every morning. Yeah. But I noticed that a, a yellow and black one tried to uh, come as well, and uh, the first one got kind of violent. And I heard <laughs> that the males are dominant. And my question is, I want to put up another hummingbird feeder. Should I do that, or will that same one just be dominant over my whole balcony? Well, don't put them close to each other. If you can put one in one corner of the house, the other way down at the other corner of the house, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. They won't fight then. But if okay. you put two within four or five feet of each other, yeah, they'll have fights every day. All okay. Any hummingbird is going to, whether male or female, is going to defend territory and try to drive the other ones away. So just try to separate it with a good dis- bit of distance between the two feeders, and I think you'll get okay, both. Okay, and will I see them in the winter as well? You can, yeah. There are some hummingbirds oh. that overwinter in Georgia. Not a lot, but some do, sure. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for calling, Barbara. Mm-hmm. 404-872-0750 is my number. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 4.30 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. Hi, you can talk about the pit. The people too high mess around. They're doing the mess around. No, we don't do the mess around They're on the lawn and garden show. No, we do not. Everybody doing the mess around. Quick weather update brought to you by Finley Roof and hit and miss thunderstorms today. High 91, low 74. Same tomorrow. High 90, low 73. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Joan is in Lawrenceville. Joan joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Joan, good morning. Good morning, sir. I know that I have to prune my hydrangeas soon. Yeah. got so many of them. To use my hand pruner with my arthritic hands would just be so tedious and painful. Can I use my electric hedge clippers? Joan, I'm a prime example of not doing what I say. What I say is, yes, you must use your hand pruners and prune your hydrangeas. If you come to my house, you'll see a warm set of hedge clippers that I use every day I need to to prune my hydrangeas down because I don't have the time to prune all those things by hand. Okay. That sounds great to me. That's all I need to know. Wait, 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 Joan. We've got to talk a little bit more about this. Okay. (laughs) The thing that I do that I'm trying to be careful about doing with my clippers, with my electric clippers, is I try to make my cuts as best I can right above two buds on the stem that that are on the plant when I leave it alone. In other words, I want to cut down to just above two buds, and that will give you good strength for new flower, new stems to come up, which will give new flower buds for next year. If you're really haphazard about your clipping, which I have been before and have learned by experience, but if you're real haphazard and cut some stems really high, way above the buds, and some stems right through the buds, then you will not have near as many blooms the next year. So try to make your cut just above, half an inch to an inch above the buds. That's why hand pruning is recommended, but if you can't do it with hand pruners, you can do an acceptable job with electric trimmers. Okay, that that sounds as though it's a little bit more precise. A little um, bit, but you can do it with electric trimmers and still get flowers. You'll be proud of. Okay, well, it was a great year for the hydrangeas. I didn't. Oh yes, great. I didn't think I'd, I'd have any after the last few years, so I went out and I covered mine. But I was delighted to see that they all had a profusion of bloom. Thank you so much, Walter. You bet, John. Thanks for calling.
Bye. One of the hydrangeas that I have been so impressed with this year, two actually, that I've been so impressed with, one is limelight. If you see a conical flower that started white and is now turning into green, that is limelight. Gosh, that's a pretty flower. I love that hydrangea. The other one is the Annabelle. Annabelle has a big round flower, big dome-shaped round flower. Again, started white. Now it's a pure, just the prettiest color of light green you would ever see. I see both the limelight, little lime, its little cousin, and the uh, Annabelle hydrangeas all over Atlanta. And I think, wow, somebody really made a good choice in putting those there. And particularly because, unlike the ones that we were just talking about that has to be pruned right now, you can prune limelight, little lime, the uh, PG hydrangeas, as well as the uh, Annabelle hydrangeas, anytime you want to after they flower, and they will do fine. They will bloom next year just fine. That's one great you know, benefit of the panicle-type hydrangeas, they're called, is they can be pruned anytime you want to. If you, again, have the blue and pink hydrangeas, the normal mophead hydrangeas, as Joan was mentioning, now is the time to prune them because they have to have enough time between now, when you prune them, and the cold weather that comes to make the new buds, which will make the flowers for next year. If you mistakenly don't prune them now and you wait until wintertime and you prune them then, you'll remove all the flower buds that have been grown from about the first week or so in August up until October. That's when the flower buds for the succeeding year are formed on those hydrangeas, on the blue and pink hydrangeas. Another thing that I was really curious about was my neighbor's hydrangea, which is pink and has been pink, I think, every year for seven or eight years. And I want to know what variety. He didn't know what variety it was. I think it was planted by the landscape company at his house. But there are some hydrangeas that can be kept pink without much liming. I don't think Richard has put a bit of lime on that hydrangea, but it has been pink the whole time. Normally, you have to put pink on the hydrangeas to cause them to turn pink or stay pink rather than being blue. It'll stay pink all the time. I'm trying to find the hydrangea variety that is because I want one of those in my yard too. It's been a great Saturday morning. Crystal Wheeler did a fabulous job screening our calls this morning. Ashley's out because she was doing television traffic and everything else. Yesterday, she's got up 2 a.m. And she said, Walter, I just can't make it in on Saturday. Crystal's going to screen calls for you. Jason Byers is happy to see you back again. Justin Obie did a good job in your place. But Jason Byers is back because he was taking the place of Jay Black this past week. If you didn't get your question answered this morning, go to my website, WalterReeves.com. Follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, on Facebook. I post things there every week, things that are coming up and things I've noticed. Subscribe to our email newsletter. And my friends, you will learn more than you ever thought about gardening in Georgia. I'm Walter Reeves. The Lawn and Garden Show is every Saturday morning, 6 to 9 a.m. And we'll see you next Saturday right here on News Talk WSB, 6 a.m. to 9. And we'll see you then.